0: If you need a miracle, seize your own opportunity. Get your own praise on. Therefore, thou art unexcus- inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For when, for with wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge does the same things. In other words, let me read that from the NIV because we don't talk like that. You, therefore, have no excuse. Does that sound better? Who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge the other, you are or could be condemning yourself because most of the time, you who pass judgment are doing the same thing. We could take the benediction right now, but let's finish. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So God will never judge you with what he doesn't know about you. He'll never judge you wrongfully. He'll always judge us properly. But humans get it twisted. It says, verse 2, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you a mere man pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But, verse 5, because of the stubbornness an unrepented heart—you are or could be—storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what He/slash she has done. Look at your neighbor tell them, I'm glad you're here to hear this. Verse 7, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. So, in other words, those who have made up their minds that I will do good, I will do good by God, by my neighbor, by by all the components of morality, I will do good and you have to persistently do that. Which means there are times when we all feel like giving up. But you must persist on doing what's right. He says here, to those that persist to seek in the glory of God and honor and immortality he says to them, they will have eternal life. But for those who are self seeking, and who reject the truth and follow after evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. Once again, tell your neighbor, I'm glad you're here to hear this. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does evil. What's right? First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not, this is what my Bible says, show favoritism. Are you all reading okay? You cannot bribe him. You cannot cry and make him change his mind. Tears don't change him. Money doesn't change him. Uh, 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 all the pleas and all the bargains with God. How many of you ever made a bargain with God? Uh, It really doesn't work, but he doesn't show favoritism. God judges righteously. There's a problem in the body of Christ with hypocrisy. More than any other religious thought, I said this this morning, and as believers we have to uh, learn how to live contextually according to the Bible. Uh, And we have to know the content of the Bible first. And then you have to know how to apply that content into a world that's contemporary. right, so this is why it's very important. It's crucial for every believer to study the word of God. Uh, First Timothy says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. So there is something about studying the word of God that brings glory to God, And takes the shame off of you. It's almost like God's way of saying, the more you study my word, the the less shame you'll walk in. It will start to peel the layers of your past away. Amen. The more you're focusing on living righteously with God. Uh, there, There is beauty in persistence. And so it is not great to live holy one day. You must do it every day. To the best of your ability, you must persist on doing what the word of God says. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you must be persistent as it relates to the things of God, especially in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world where, where, where the culture and even some the culture of the church has been very okay over the last few years about the sin of tolerance. Tolerance is worse sometimes than the outright act because tolerance cosigns bad behavior. Sometimes it is not what you say to stop a person. It's what you will not say that enables a person to continue to do wrong and live wrong under the guise of I don't want to judge. When Romans is talking about judging here, it is not talking about frivolous judgment. It is talking about believers learning how to organize and conduct themselves in this world. And although you and I should not judge a person with things that we don't know, the Bible does also speak about judging the fruit of a person's life. So you and I, first of all, let me be very clear. We ought to make sure our fruit is good before you can discern whether somebody else is not living right. Jesus said it best, and I will quote him. He says, before you seek to pull the little speck of dust out of your brother or sister's eye, make sure you get that log out of your own. Amen. I love this because it really kind of puts emphasis on the fact that uh, you're so busy looking at the little stuff somebody else is doing when you got a whole lot of mess yourself. Hit somebody, high five, and tell them, I'm so glad you're here to hear this. What, What we have lost is a certain amount of orthodoxy. Uh, in the body of Christ, we are so free with everything that we, we've lost conviction. We've lost orthodoxy. We've lost a sense of, of right and wrong. We've kind of uh, become very ambiguous to what we're supposed to live and do. And, and we've drawn the lines so blurry that even the sinner or, or, or the, the saint almost uh, has the lines confused. Uh, it's amazing that Paul wrote these things years, centuries before you and I even picked up this Bible. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and says, listen, in the last days, uh, people will even despise those that do good. Uh, and listen, when he wrote that, he was not writing to the world. He was writing to the known church of that day, saying in in, in in later times at the end, towards the end of the age, people, even those in the household of faith who are supposed to have the same thinking, the same lifestyle, they're going to be despising of those who want to do good. In other words, they're going to be people who today they're in church with you, praising God. They're going to sing songs with you. They're going to high-five because I make them do that. They're going to talk to you. They're not going to willingly high-five you, right? But they're going to talk to you. They're going to engage you. And, And some people really mean what they say. But there's a larger degree who are only doing what's being told. There's a large degree of people who come to church uh, with 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 not a real motive of following God, but they're, they're kind of hanging in the balance. They, they kind of think the idea of Christianity is good, it's a wholesome thought, but yet they lack the ability to make the necessary changes from the inside out. Please tell your neighbor, God doesn't want you to change your clothes right away. He wants you to change your heart. Uh, he's not concerned about what you put on your body in as much as he's concerned about what's in your heart. Lord, I'm trying to slow down here. And so, and so there's a big deal, right? We, we have taught people in Christendom and, and in the body of Christ, we've taught people to dress it up. We've taught people to mask it over. We have trained people, not voluntarily, but involuntarily. We've, we've told people conform, look like us, not necessarily live like us. We've told people that when, we, when you come to church, this is how you're supposed to look. We, we have tried to formulate thought to make sure that you look like us and you don't offend us uh, with how you look. So when you come into church, we want you to look a certain way. If you've come in with your skirt short, we want you by next week to make that thing longer so that we can accept you. If, if you came in with, with jeans on one week, we want to uh, conform you within a matter of minutes uh, and make you feel like you know you're out of place because we all got suits on and you do we have made the 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 major theme of Christianity what you look like on the outside when in fact the scripture is not all that concerned about what you look like from outward appearance because there are people who are very evil but they look good from the outside the word of God is geared to get into your heart look at your neighbor tell him God wants your heart not your clothes but if he gets your heart, your clothes will change, your posture will change, your ideology will change. If, if God can get your heart, he won't have to tell you to let the hemline down. You'll let it down because you will see not him differently only, but you will see yourself differently. The beauty about the gospel is the gospel not only causes you to see God, but it causes you to take inventory of who you are and where you are and where you want to be. The gospel is not for judging people. The gospel is for personal transformation. And here's the scripture before you tell me how to change, make sure it's working for you. Before you tell me how to live, make sure you're living right. Before you tell me how to praise, please make sure you know how to praise God. Before you show me or tell me how to conduct my children, please make sure your children are living right. Before you tell me how to live in my marriage, please make sure you're submitting to your husband, and husband, make sure you're loving your wife. Before you tell me what to do, make sure it's working for you. The Greek talks about hypocrisy. It's the Greek word uh, hupokrisis. hupokrisis, uh, which I love this definition. Uh, it means to pretend, of course. Uh, it means simulation. Uh, simulation gives the idea, uh, and now more than ever, we're seeing simulated rides. Remember back in the day uh, when you went to a carnival uh, or a real, a real carnival, a real theme park, you got on the actual ride. There wasn't no such thing as thinking about the roller coaster. You either got on it or you didn't. Now they have simulated rides, which you're not really moving, but it feels like you are. Uh, Now they have the motorcycle arcade game where you get on the motorcycle and and it's doing bumps. It's twisting to the side, but it's just a simulation of what you should be doing. So hypocrisy gives the idea, hypocrisy is, you, you are, you're you supposed to be doing something, but you're really just simulating truth. God bless you. I wanna take a quick moment to offer you Psychological Warfare. It's absolutely free. All you have to do is give us a call at 844-846-6464. No strings attached, just give us a call. We taught this message to our congregation some time ago, and let me tell you, it was an absolute blessing. Romans 12 says our minds must be renewed if we're going to prove the acceptable will of God. You need tools to combat the enemy. Remember, he doesn't have your soul, and he doesn't have your spirit. That belongs to God. The only thing the enemy has left to work with is your mind. I want to tell you today, time is up. It's over. You need this message. Get it in your arsenal. It's time to start living victorious. No more psychological trips. It's time to win the battle. Call 844-846-6464. Absolutely free. We just want to be a blessing to you. Call us right now. We have some operators standing by to take your order. And remember, when you call, make sure you order Psychological Warfare. It's absolutely free. I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. Enjoy. You're not really in the truth, but you are mimicking very well what truth and what living should look like, right? So so when I go to Disney World, uh, I like uh, the Universal Studios because all of their rides now are simulated. You feel like you're going in the air. You feel like you're going upside down. You haven't moved. You feel like you have flown through some kind of avenue with Spider-Man, but you really have not moved. You're in the same seat. You're in the same little box. The only thing that's moved is the picture around you. So at best, you can simulate. Let me give you another example. You haven't lived with God all week long. You haven't read word, haven't prayed, haven't praised. But when you come to church, because it's on and popping, You quickly assimilate to simulate. Oh, this is good. So, so you haven't been with God all week long. You've been himself. You did everything you wanted to do for you. And by the time you get to church, because everybody else is up, hands are lifted, songs are being sang, not by you, but by them. I know I'm going somewhere. So quickly, we assimilate into fellowship, and then we begin to simulate what everybody else is doing. We can do that without having none of it in us. So for two hours, we can make you look like us. We can make you feel assimilated into us. But the truth of the matter is, when you leave, is whether it shows whether what you did was in you or did you just simulate what everybody else was doing look at your neighbor tell him be an original christian not a simulation of someone else don't try to praise like me praise the way you and god have worked it out Don't don't look like me. Don't simulate my actions. Because my praise is predicated upon what me and God have been. And, And although you know me, you don't know what I've been through. Although you see me, you haven't walked in my shoes. So you can't praise to the degree that I praise him. But you can do it according to where you and God are. Look at your neighbor, tell them no hupocresis up in here. I know y'all don't know how to say the word. I want you deep. I want you to write that word down, right? I want you to get the real meaning. It means to pretend. It means to simulate. It means to use flattery. Right? It means uh, 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 to to be evil and be deceptive. That's what hypocrisy means. Because hypocrisy is not loving you. Hypocrisy is hurting you. It took me someplace where I thought where where there would be unity. There wasn't. So hypocrisy is not your friend. It it will hurt you quickly. I want you to write this down. Idolatry is a form of hypocrisy. Because it forces one to, to give what belongs to God to someone else. And act like that is God. Oh, okay. Y'all going to have to help me make this plan, right? So a lot of people uh, give, they say, oh, to God be the glory. But what, But when they really talk about the details of what's been done, they give all the credit to other people or to themselves. So whenever you give devotion to something else, or whenever you give to somebody else the credit for something that God has done for you, Right, You're moving in the form of idolatry. You're taking away what belongs to God and probably placing it on you. When the truth is you're not that great. You're not that cool. That is why some of us have to stay in situations long enough to the point that you realize your wit has not negotiated you out of the problem. Your contacts have not gotten you out of the problem. All of your crutches, they have fallen by the wayside, and nobody can help you. You and I have to find ourselves in pits of life where only God can get us out of it. And let me tell you, sometimes he keeps you in there so long that by the time you see the light of day, you will not dare give anybody else the credit. You will make sure, like Sister Linda Josie, you will make sure that the pilot doesn't get the credit, that the stewardess doesn't get the credit. Nobody else on the situation gets the credit. God gets all the glory. High five somebody tell them God gets all the glory out of my life. Isaiah deals with hypocrisy. Malachi deals with hypocrisy. In fact, a deeper truth of that meaning, Hoppocristus, uh, Hupacru- uh, uh, gives another further meaning of not that good of an actor. So a hypocrite really is an actor or an actress. Hippocristis uh, says, you're not that good of an actor. Meaning, uh we know you think. We don't know you're shady, but we do know you're shady. Well, we, okay, yeah, I, see, I, I see some people getting mad. Your, your, your hallelujah is not fooling us because we saw your Facebook page. So no matter how much out you're doing it here, we see there's two yous in the building. So so even though you look like you're amongst us and with us, your hypocrisy speaks something different. You're acting like you're born again, saved, loving God, but there's two faces to you. And you're not that good of an actor. It's the person that shouts at the altar, get ready to fall out, and then they open up one eye. Din, 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 din. You're not that good of an actor. If you're going to fall out, fall out, Jack. Make it a good one. Y'all didn't like that one, huh? People at the altar doing the Matrix. Oh, I love you, Lord. Give it to me, Lord. And when I go to lay hands, y'all are like, hey, don't touch that hand. Don't mess that do up. I don't know how you could be in the spirit wondering, if he touched my hair, that grease going to mess my hair up. Let me give you a further definition. Y'all don't like this. It's a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. It amazes me how people say, I ain't going to church because there's all those hypocrites in there. Well, a hypocrite can be a person of virtue or religion. So in other words, you live with some hypocrites. You live with people who say, I ain't going to cuss, and the next moment they leave your presence, they cuss. They're not saved. They may not be born again. They may not be religious about it, but they say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Have you ever met somebody that said they're not going to do something again? And as soon as they said they weren't going to do it, guess what? They did it. You and I were those people. We said stuff, we said we would never do it again. And as soon as the opportunity presented itself, guess what? Uh-oh. So there's, a, there, there's the ability in a human being to give a false appearance of something of virtue or religious standing. It's just easy to do it with religion because we cover it with God. And a lot of people cover bad behavior. We're calling it the Lord's age. Uh-oh. It is quiet in here. Uh, just elbow your neighbor. Tell him, I just want to make sure you're still awake. You, you look like you're trying to give me the finger and get out the door. Praise God. Trying to put that one little finger up and squeeze out the door. Nope, lock the doors. Praise God. Right? It's a person who puts on appearances. You you appear one way, but you're somebody else. You appear Holy. Amazing, how can you sing praises to God and don't even speak to your neighbor? How how, how do you say, I love Jesus, and, and let the door slam in somebody's face? And don't even turn around and say, my bad. Y'all look quiet in here. How, How do you lift up holy hands? Hands that have been redeemed and go to the casino and roll dice. How do you take hands that have been redeemed and pull the slot machine? Well, I have a quiet church in here. Please keep hearing this for the broadcast. How in the world Do you take hands that have been made holy and put weed up to your mouth? Somebody said, pass this for my glaucoma. You don't have no glaucoma. (laughs) Oh, I know who I serve. (laughs) Woo! this is good. See, I want to shout. I want to make sense. I want to make sense. I want you to get this. How do you take holy hands and put those same hands into things that are unrighteous? When you say you're born again, when you say you love God, the same hands that he redeemed, you're supposed to use those hands for good now. Those hands are supposed to bless people. Those hands are supposed to be compassion to someone else. Those hands are to see loss and lack and start to fill in some gaps in humanity. But instead, when we don't surrender to Christ totally, we find ourselves in between two worlds. And today I come to bust that other world up and bring you into singleness of mind. You got to love what God loves and you must hate what God loves. I know that message blessed you, and I pray as well that it challenged you to take inventory. Make sure it's very important that we live what we say. It's important to God, should be important to you, and it's important to our neighbor. Also, I want to take a moment while I have your attention to invite you out to one of our locations. We have two to choose from. If you're in the Sound area, please join us at Tabernacle International Deliverance Church. That's at 151 West Marshall Street. 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. services every Sunday. Please come out and join us for worship. The number that you can reach is 610-275-1120. Also, we have a 2 p.m. service every Sunday in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. So if you're in the Pottstown area, please join us at 150 North Hanover Street. Currently, we're having services in Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Please come in, worship God with us. We're having a phenomenal time preaching the word and building the kingdom of God. I'll see you there. I want you to come and bring your praise with you. For more information, dial 844-846-6464. Once again, until next week, I'll see you in church. God bless. Are you mentally oppressed? Are you tired of the enemy's lies? God has called you to walk in victory. In this message, Pastor Weatherspoon discusses how to take authority over your thoughts and win the battle on psychological warfare.